Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic, where this is a podcast about how unwatchable Clemson Rutgers is going to be on NCAA Tournament Day. No, I'm kidding. This is our post-selection show NCAA podcast. We're going to talk about brackets. We're going to talk about every single thing that happened on Selection Sunday. Maybe even talk a little bit about Ohio State, Illinois, but I don't know if we'll get there. To join me today, we've got Nicole Auerbach, a senior writer over at The Athletic. Nicole, how's it going? Uh, It is going well. I didn't quite dance and and celebrate the same way that Dickie V did, but uh, it's really exciting and fun to get a bracket to break down. Do we assume that Dickie V now has to like drink all of his Pepto-Bismol that he had for the Super Bowl after dancing and doing everything that he did? I mean, probably, probably. I also feel like maybe there was too much caffeine <laughs> taken earlier or sugar, sugar high. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, you know, I, again, like we're it's a sigh of relief. We're here. We get a tournament. You know, they've got all these protocols in place. But um, for someone who who literally like eats and breathes basketball, like and I mean that in the sense of literally, like I think that like <laughs> being in a gym and inhaling like the, the fumes that have some sweat in there, I think that keeps him alive. Like he, he's so excited. I, I think it's going to be awesome. I am very excited to have this. Um, and it was oddly normal to have the bracket unveiled. I mean, you had the people complaining about the Big Ten title game going to overtime. We didn't have a leak this year. They gave us the field really quickly. It just all felt very normal. And it's almost exactly a year to the day that this all went away. So I am feeling great. I'm still just laughing at that after talking about Dickie V, you decided that the first adjective you were going to use was awesome to talk about the NCAA tournament <laughs> bracket. <laughs> well, yes, I'm not going to do I'm not going to do a uh, uh, an impersonation or anything. And, and I will say, you know, I, I will not stand for Rutgers slander. I <laughs> am from 20 minutes from Rutgers. It is part of my deal that I will defend the honor of Rutgers and that they have real fans who have been long suffering for a long time and they don't deserve they, they don't deserve like 90% of the jokes that they are the butt to. I love the fact that Rutgers is in the NCAA tournament, but that yes. game is going to be just a drag. Like we're, we're talking that those two teams might not get to 50. And anytime that a game does not get to 50, I feel like you should just eliminate both teams. Well, that's your own personal take. This is a year where we might lose teams due to COVID protocol. This so I don't true. think we should be eliminating teams for not scoring that many points. That game is also 100% going to come down to Geo Baker heaving a potential game-winning shot. That is 100% how that game will end. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm definitely here for that. So the reason that I'm having Nicole on is we wanted to just run through every single big picture thing that we can run through with this NCAA tournament. So the first question I'll just ask you is going to be when you see this bracket when you heard uh which gumble brother is it it's greg gumble right yes. that does this yes uh when you hear greg gumble run through the teams what is just your immediate reaction as you heard that 68th team get announced um i felt like you know i, I think every year you, your immediate thoughts are like you're trying to remember who's in which region but you're trying to remember your knee-jerk reactions about the regions um very odd, but good for Gonzaga that the best teams in their region they have already played and beat. That was one of the main takeaways. Um, the bubble did not go the way that I thought the bubble would. Um, that was one of my main takeaways. I mean, I think it was 
a, a pleasant surprise to see that Drake made the field and um, and Utah State made the field wasn't even a first four team, but um, you know that that left the question. Okay, then then who's going to get screwed here? And you know, so so definitely surprised that like Syracuse was ahead of a Michigan State, that Michigan State UCLA, which sounds like it should be an Elite Eight game, no matter what year it is, is a first four game. I'm always intrigued by the bubble and always intrigued by teams that feel snubbed because all of the teams that are in the bubble conversation all have very flawed resumes. Um, and then my last takeaway was, you know, just looking at Illinois' draw. To have Loyola as your eight, it's a really strong eight, playing a nine in Georgia Tech, just won the ACC tournament, really hot. You've got Kate Cunningham and Oklahoma State in that region. Like, that is just a tough draw. And really, like, the only thing that's switched about the number one seeds in the last couple of weeks is Illinois and Michigan. And I, I think you could make a case that perhaps Michigan has an easier draw than Illinois. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. So I I just trying to keep track of all the teams um, and figure out, you know, who's got it easy, who doesn't, and also which are going to be the really popular upset picks. And then which ones are the ones that are more likely to actually happen? Yeah, it was funny. We were talking before uh, we got on the phone here and the one that I think everyone's going to pick is Winthrop to be Villanova because Villanova is just dealing with, a mess of injuries right now. We don't know if Justin Moore is going to play. Uh, I'm assuming that, frankly, like he's not going to play based off of what it sounded like was Jay Wright's like disappointment when discussing his. Uh, I believe it's a high ankle sprain. Is that right, or is it just like a regular ankle sprain? I'm not sure. Uh, are there even are there even regular ankle sprains anymore? I feel like they're all high. Yeah, that's but- a good point. I think in general, that's just going to be the pick because of Colin Gillespie. I mean, yeah. you know, when, when you lose that type of player that late, it, it just makes you ripe for this. I mean, I think that's part of the reason that I don't know, you know, Michigan is is a legitimate national title contender, but you lose Isaiah Livers really late. I don't know if many people are going to put him in the final four for that reason, right? So, like, it's it's so hard to tell what happens to a team when you lose a player like that yeah for sure so let's talk about the bubble first and then maybe we'll get into like talking about the regions so louisville gets left out they are the top team that does not make the ncaa tournament field and then we've got uh colorado state also did not make the field who were the final two teams that did not make the field slew was one of them and who, who was the fourth one it was Ole Miss. Ole Miss. So those were three and four, which, you know, you're, you're acting like they're 100% gone, and, and they're not technically. They are replacement teams. They yeah. are potentially going to be in the field, maybe. They might get a call. I don't know. I mean, it's still really weird that that's how the setup is for the top seeds of the NIT, but rolling with it. Well, and the other part of it is, too, that, like, if, for instance, Louisville gets the call, it seems like the two most likely teams right now to end up having to not play in this would be kansas and virginia right and they're the three and four seed so louisville could go from being out of the tournament to essentially getting a three or four seed draw yes which is a little bit wild with the way that they're going to do these replacement teams if they end up going down this road yes so that is something that's worth keeping in mind because they do get plugged in at the seed line so that potentially opens up a lot of chaos for for those double digit seeds. Um, I I, I want to start with my favorite tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
because this it was it basically they, they set this up for us right like i mean you the chairman of the selection committee is the kentucky athletic di- director so not only is mitch Bar- barnhart running the show he's also the spokesman for this committee and he shows up on cbs in a blue tie while being asked about Louisville being snubbed and being the first team out of the field. I mean, it is right there for us. I'm, I'm going to, I mean, you got to do it. Because, again, if you think about the way that these guys have to, quote unquote, check their allegiances at the door, that means that those athletic directors have to get out of the room when their team's discussed. But, uh, hmm, the in-state rival plays in a different conference. No, you're, you're allowed to be in the room for that conversation. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I think it's pretty laughable that Louisville is not in this tournament. Uh, and for now, we should say, of course, they are the number one replacement team. But, man, they are much better than Wichita State. Like, they are just a much better team. They have beaten uh, Duke. They've beaten Georgia Tech this year. Like, they... Other than that, don't have a crazy number of great wins. Like, they beat Virginia Tech, who's on the 10 line. But part of that is because they got shut down for 19 days. And I think that a lot of the teams that got shut down for an extended period of time, such as Louisville, such as St. Louis, ended up kind of getting really hurt by the committee because they just didn't get a chance to rack the number of quality wins necessarily that uh, other teams did. Uh, You know, like, just looking through... Louisville schedule, I mean, they only played 13 ACC games plus their ACC tournament loss to Duke, which, frankly, like Louisville just should have beaten Duke. If Louisville beats Duke, they're in the field, and that's just the simplest way to go about it. So they did it to themselves, but it was interesting to me that it seemed like the teams that got in, Drake played, I want to say, 29 games or something this year. Michigan State played 27 games. UCLA, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, did not really have much of a COVID pause. They ended up playing, uh, I believe, 26, 27 games as well. So these teams that got a large number of chances to rack quality wins ended up being the ones that got into the tournament. But like, you look at UCLA, UCLA beat Colorado, who I frankly don't think is very good. I know they're on the five line, but I'm just not really understanding why they're on the five line. And then they beat Arizona twice. And outside of that, they haven't beaten a single top 70 team in Ken Palm. So it just feels like these teams that played a lot of games ended up being the teams that got the benefit of the doubt, which kind of sucks, I think. Yeah, it sends a very weird message in these COVID times, which of a you know, a virus that's new, that caused a pandemic that you can't control. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of blaming those teams for not playing those games or being shut down, right? And, that, and that, that's, yeah. that's a weird message to send. Um, and, and just because you got games in doesn't mean that you were necessarily winning games against, like, quad one opponents. I mean, I, I think I, I go back and forth on this because I love that Drake makes the field, right? Like I, I, but I get that they have one positive thing on their resume. They beat Loyola one time. Like I get that that's kind of it, but I don't know. It, you know, it, it's sort of, it, it's sending a little bit of a mixed message to your point about the amount of games played because in normal years, mid majors, that is the, 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 the knock against them. It's not the amount of games total. It's the amount of games against quality opponents. So it's weird in one way. They're, they're just saying any game counts more than none. But in normal years, they don't even get the benefit of the doubt of like 
you know, not having the opportunities. So there's a couple of weird messages there. And and I do think the one about, you know, just the the more you were shut out, like, oh, that that sucks. That that's not a great one to send. But I do think you have to reframe it and just say, like, you know, especially for for a team like Louisville, and this is this is true with every single bubble team every year that gets real up in arms about being snubbed. You had opportunities to not put yourself in this position. And as you just mentioned, you just had one against Duke, who's, by the way, not a tournament team. So, like, it's it's really hard for me. Like, I, I'm definitely surprised Syracuse avoided the first four. Like, I don't think that's a very good team. But it is hard for me to be that sympathetic to the snubs, except the years that it's all the mid-major teams and it's teams that like literally did not have an opportunity to schedule teams that the committee would find impressive. Well, the the funniest quote-unquote snub of all of this to me is what happened in the Mountain West. So the Mountain West, for people who don't know, Colorado State is the second team that was out. And I would venture that Boise State was probably within the next four out. Colorado State, Boise State, Utah State, each of those three teams were on the bubble and their league made them play games in the final week of the season and make up games for the Mountain West that they didn't have to make these teams make up. Like, the league made Colorado State make up games against, I believe, New Mexico and Nevada. And that final Nevada game was on the road against a team that was, at the time, I believe, ranked outside of the top 90. And it was their fourth game in seven days. And the league made them play that game. That game probably knocked them out of the NCAA tournament. Like, Craig Thompson in the Mountain West legitimately cost all of the member institutions in the Mountain West money. If I was Colorado State, I would be calling the league office just absolutely furious with the way that this worked out. And Boise State, by the way, as well. Boise State ends up dropping their final three games, or really final four, including the Mountain West uh, tournament. So look, on some level, I think that their argument is a bit less compelling for this. But... You didn't have to make them go play Fresno State that Tuesday uh, last week. Like, it was just an unnecessary loss for Boise State to take. They would certainly be a replacement team, I think, if they don't lose that game to Fresno State. And part of this is, look, I think Leon Rice is like 1-9 in nine all time against Steve Alford. For whatever reason, he just can't beat Steve Alford. Well, I know the reason. I don't think Leon Rice is a very good coach. But like... Look, you need to figure out how to beat Nevada if you can. You need to figure out how to beat Fresno if you can. But the Mountain West just fumbled the bag here so drastically that it is it is remarkable to me that like Colorado State is going to have to go into that league office and be like, "Hey, you totally fucked us here." Well, and and let's just like let's spell this out. Okay, so you get money by sending a team to the tournament and you get money each time you win a game in the tournament so that's you want to send good teams to this thing you get your um you get your share or um unit sorry it's the ncaa tournament unit and it's you know it's a different it's slightly different number each year um but that's why it's a big deal you know the big 10 getting nine teams in having a lot of high seas like they're gonna make a lot of money in the tournament so it's a big deal to not have a team make it And you're essentially making that decision because you wanted to get those games in for other money reasons, which is to fulfill your contract with your media rights holder to get regular season games in. It's inventory. But here's here's the funny thing about that, though, Nicole. So I 
think that two of those games in the last week for Colorado State were only broadcast online. So it actually, two of those games just had nothing to do with the TV broadcast rights. They were just played. It's unbelievable. Then I don't even know why you get the games in. Because that would be the only real reason to do that. Because otherwise, it's, it, it is, you know, the bottom line is you just cost yourself, you know, at least a million dollars by not putting your team in a position to make this tournament. And especially in a year where you have a selection committee that is actually leaning towards including mid-major teams. Yep. It's wild. It's, Truly wild. Yeah. That is one of the weirdest things that we've seen in recent years from a conference office. Yeah. Craig Thompson, shout out to just totally fumbling the bag on this one. Uh, you have cost your conference a potentially good deal of money here. Let's go to just breaking down the actual teams that are in the bracket. Uh, before we do that, though, just a quick commercial break. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay. 
And we are back. We're going to run through each region. I think that they're still going by like the West, South, East, Midwest region. At least yes. that's what at least that's they what are. the CBS Sports bracket <laughs> is telling me that's in front of my face right now. Um, um, even though we are all in the state of Indiana and, you know, like the <laughs> South region. And I mean, honestly, my favorite one's the Midwest region in Indiana. But I, I, yes, we are still apparently calling them geographical directions okay so the west region is gonzaga's region i think that this is the easiest draw for a team that i've seen in a long time and i think it's important to note again that the s curve that they used here is not typically what is used to seed teams typically they seed teams somewhat at least by geographical location and trying to make it so like gonzaga doesn't have to travel far x y and z team doesn't have to travel far and it ends up creating circumstances where there are often imbalanced regions in the case of gonzaga there is an imbalanced region but i think it's totally because of the s curve they used the s curve here to just seed teams one through 68 giving gonzaga theoretically the weakest number two seed probably the strongest number three seed the weakest number four weakest number six and it shows in this bracket i think this is a uh This is not a difficult bracket for Gonzaga, and it's for a number of reasons, too. I mean, they've beaten all of the two, three, and four seeds this year already. Right. Right. And it's a Kansas team that we just saw pull out of the Big 12 tournament because, you know, and, 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 you know, we we think they'll be able to play in the NCAA tournament, but they're dealing with some COVID protocol issues. Um, You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an Iowa team that has been pretty good, but, you know, isn't the best one, two, or three teams in the in its own conference. I mean, it, it's a really interesting draw, and I think you're absolutely right because normally you have you have the geographic considerations, right? Because you're trying to say, okay, well, we want our you know the 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 top seed, the top number one, to you know have the easiest travel, hopefully home home crowd advantages, and you know that that's a that's a very real consideration. This year, I, I'm thinking the only thing that would really have adjusted teams or moved things around would have been avoiding rematches and some of the rules about like, you know, not playing a team in your own conference, like that you played twice or whatever it might be, right? Like that would really be the only thing I think that would have adjusted anything from being like it's true S curve. But it, it seems like they didn't do that though, which is really interesting to me. Like, I, I agree with you. I, I would have found that. But I'm saying, wouldn't, wouldn't, that yeah. be, wouldn't that be the only rule? I, I think it would have been. I think you're right. Like, I'm pretty sure that that would be the only rule, but I'm they, they just went for it, it looks like. So now we have Gonzaga in a region where they've beaten all of Iowa, Kansas, and Virginia this year. Uh, you know, this Creighton team that they have to play is okay, but just got blown out by Georgetown in the Big East mm-hmm. tournament. Virginia's not Virginia. That's right. Saying. Kansas is not nearly... Look, Kansas last year was the best team in the country, and I think they would have ended up winning the NCAA tournament. But this Kansas team is not up to the typical talent level of a Kansas team. Like, honestly, the team that I'm most worried about, if I'm Gonzaga, is probably Oregon, is the seventh seed. I think Oregon's really good. Uh, They have an NBA player in Chris Duarte. They have a few older players in LJ Figueroa, in Eugene Omaruri. Give me a a pronunciation there uh, from the former Rutgers forward. (laughs) I'm letting you try that one. I'm not. Do you know how many words there are that I just only ever write out that never say that I just don't know how to pronounce? I'm I'm just (laughs) not even attempting that. 
it's funny i had a friend one time we were sitting around in college and he just randomly said the word subsequent and i was just like wait what, 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 how did you just say that word? Isn't it, isn't it subsequent? And he Wait, was like, I like it so much better the other way. <laughs> so, yeah, I, there are so many words that like we just never end up saying because why would you say a word like umaruyi if you have to? I still to? can't, I still can't. Is it niche or niche? How do you niche, say that one? I do. Okay, yeah. well, I mean, I, I can't say that one, right? I mean, it's literally a 50 50 shot. I get it wrong more than 50% of the time. Yeah, 100%. But if I'm Gonzaga, I'm probably most worried about Oregon in this region. I think Oregon's really good. They have, I want to say, won 11 of their last 13 games. Now, they did just lose to Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament, which not a great look necessarily. But Wayne Tinkle also has now led Oregon State to two NCAA tournaments in seven years, which I kind of thought was impossible in this like current construct of college basketball convincing kids to go up to Corvallis so shout out to Wayne Tinkle and Oregon State just I trust Dana Altman I trust Oregon I'm gonna have Oregon probably in the Elite Eight if I'm gonna be honest with it I I think this team's just really really good and I I have more faith in Iowa than I thought I would when I started the year but I just don't really buy into their defense enough I I just don't I, I buy into their defense, I think, more than most people do. But, like, I don't know. So, like, when it, you know, it, it, this is going to be... I'm, I'm going to end up this whole week going back and forth and back and forth on this one. Because, you know, out of Oregon, Iowa, and USC, like, figuring out which of those three teams I'm going to have in the Elite Eight. Because, you know, you, you're thinking about, okay, what are the difference makers on tournament teams? You know, what are teams that we aren't necessarily sure we trust? Oh, they've got, you know... an NBA all-star, future NBA all-star, a a pro, you know, this and that. And so it's like, well, yeah, Luca Garza, you know, is is probably going to be the national player of the year, but is that enough? I don't know. And like, okay, we know they can score. Do you trust the defense to show up in those moments? And then obviously, you know, it's all just kind of leading up to getting to play Gonzaga, which no one should really want to do. But, uh, but I'm also like thinking, okay, USC has Evan Mobley and like, he's really fun. One player can make a difference. Like, I don't know. I, the bottom the bottom part of that region is totally up in the air to me. I mean, like, any of those could, teams could do – they could blow somebody out or get blown out, and I wouldn't be that surprised, I feel. Yeah, I, I really need to see Evan Mobley against Luka Garza. Like, because I, I feel yes. like that is just a fascinating matchup for a number of reasons. Part of me thinks that Luka would kind of bury Mobley a little bit just because he's so much stronger. I mean, Garza has to have 50 pounds on Evan Mobley. But if you told me that Evan Mobley just drove Garza and scored on him every single time, I don't think I'd be surprised by that. Either. I, I would. I would really like to see that. And the way that my like, you know, you, you made me do a fill out a bracket, and you know, the five minutes after the the show, I, I have that as the matchup. I mean, despite what you said about Oregon, like that's my my gut. You know, fill out the bracket. Um, so I would love to see that as well. I mean, that that's that's the type of intrigue we're going to need in this region because um, it is. As you said, to start the conversation, it is the region that the number one overall seed deserves. And this is an undefeated number one overall seed, best team in college basketball, going to try to make history here. And, you know, they're, they're getting an assist, which they earned by what they did in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, like even their 8-9 game, by the way, Oklahoma, I think, has lost five of six. Missouri has lost six of nine. 
Like they, they didn't even give him a tough eight nine game. It feels like look, both of those teams could theoretically beat Gonzaga, and I could look dumb. But like, I don't know. This is not a this is not a difficult region for Gonzaga. I think no, that they, like, like think about yeah. think about the eight nines in Illinois region. I mean, you got Loyola, Chicago, and Georgia Tech. Like that is a much much different eight nine game yeah. in my mind than than Gonzaga got. Yeah, I think LSU Bonaventure is a really tough eight nine game. Yeah, like yeah. I think North Carolina Wisconsin's a really tough eight nine game. They got yeah, by far the easiest one. Yes, I I am I'm fully with you on that. And again, like if you're the number one overall seed, you deserve the easiest path. And we don't always see it, so I'm excited for that. Even if we do maybe see some blowouts on the way. So Baylor's region, which is theoretically the South region, Baylor got a really tough potential eight nine matchup. But I kind of love the rest of their bracket, the rest of the way, because Villanova, we've talked about, they're kind of a mess right now with injuries. Purdue is just very young with a lot of guards, and I would assume that Baylor's experience over uh, those Purdue guards, like I think Purdue's probably going to be a top five team next year in the country, but I think they're a year away from really being able to compete with Baylor. Arkansas and Ohio State at the bottom of that, they're really well-coached teams, and Arkansas has a pro. Arkansas has a lot of older, experienced guys. Ohio State, like, look, I, I fucking love Ohio State. I want them to go as far as they can go, but, like, not the most talented Ohio State team here. Like, I, I kind of think that Baylor, if they can get past that 8-9 game in the second round... I mean, like, I'm more worried about playing North Carolina than I am playing Villanova or Purdue at this point. Yeah, and and I think it's also the region where everyone is going to pick that Winthrop over Villanova game. And, and, like, again, you you can't fault people for doing that. And people always want to talk about what upsets to pick. It's a 5-12 game. We usually, that's the one we get the most of the time, right? Like, I I get that. Um, So... You know, it's very possible, A, that, you know, you were talking about this before we got on, that Jay just uses that and Villanova comes out and just blasts them. But it's also possible Winthrop does pull off the upset that everyone thinks, you know, possibly could happen. And that that's who Baylor gets. I mean, like, it is possible that this, this gets even easier. And I'm with you because I think Arkansas has been an incredibly fun team to watch. They've been really hot. Ohio State has had now kind of two bursts of being hot. You know, they're running the tournament. And then, you know, the, the run leading into that Michigan game a couple weeks ago. But they're, they seem to be playing above their talent level. And, like, I love Chris Holtman. I think he's great. I think he seems to be – I think he really likes this team. Like, I think he likes the players, the chemistry, everything that they've got. But it's honestly a little bit remarkable that they hang with the Illinois and Michigans the way that they have in some of these games in recent weeks. Because I just I – don't, I don't think they're as talented. Now, what does that mean for a tournament run? It could go in – a couple different directions yeah totally like i i know chris holtman really loves this team i know he loves the togetherness of this group i i mean like look we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to your region because i have a specific question i want to ask you with this michigan team but like, I, like, I like how you're calling it my region also. i am calling it your region <laughs> uh I mean, I, I'm scared of that 215 matchup for Ohio State. Like, I can't tell if I'm just like terrified of everything as someone who went to Ohio State and wants that team to be successful, or if I'm like, holy shit, or Roberts has two pros and Max Abmus and Kevin Obinar. Like, I, I'm terrified of everything within Ohio State's draw, except it's, for the 710 game. It's probably both, and also maybe you've been watching so much mid major basketball lately that you're brain is a little bit like off kilter 
No, I think that's probably right. Like, I spent a lot of time yesterday watching mid-major basketball, and I think that my brain is broken. Okay, let's go to the Illinois region, the Midwest here. You're right. Illinois has a really tough draw. That Loyola-Chicago matchup in the 8 game, the 1-8 game, is really interesting just because it'll be made out as, like, taking back Chicago game or whatever. Uh, because yeah, it'll be some something about being like the 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 team of Chicago, something. Yeah, some some weird narrative. Uh, Oklahoma State is in this region. Oklahoma State has the number one overall pick in Cade Cunningham. Tennessee is in this region. Tennessee has two potential lottery picks in Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. Syracuse is in this region, and Syracuse is always terrifying because of their zone. Like yeah. just straight up, nobody, no coach likes to prep for that zone in a tournament shortened atmosphere uh houston is really tough in this region we have the aforementioned clemson Rutgers game in this region uh west virginia is also in this region and they're just miserable to play against like this is the miserable to play against region uh for illinois and i'm really interested to see if they can come out of it and again they're they're not the fourth overall seed they're the they were number three in the in the seed line and seed list so um it, it is a tough draw i mean so let, let's just talk about which teams in this region alone that we think are kind of under because i think you can make the case for loyola and i think you could also make the case for oklahoma state i mean i'm actually really surprised that they checked in at a four seed because to me that resume is maybe a two if yeah. you look at it on paper i don't know i don't know what happened there i mean obviously this was a team that you know wasn't going to be eligible and and maybe strung together some of the 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 strongest points on the resume and you know lately but it's weird to see a team kind of really off the seed line in a power five league like this and like you said with the number one pick in the draft right like it's a little weird that they would be kind of misevaluated but but what it does is is it does create a very challenging environment for illinois who by the way is going to be coming off they, they were the last team playing heading into this environment obviously they stay in the state of indiana i thought the big 10 made a really good call to to move its tournament to indianapolis but um you know that was not an easy final it was not an easy run to get there um so it it just doesn't get easy they don't get a breather um and it's 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 fascinating i mean houston you know they're playing really well right now they've been playing really well all season you have kelvin sampson back in the NCAA tournament in the state of Indiana when Indiana is not playing in this tournament. You, by the way, we, 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 we glossed over this in the Louisville conversation. I didn't even think Rick about Pitino, that. Rick Pitino is back in the NCAA tournament and there's no Louisville and no Kentucky. Like, There's a couple oh of weird God. dynamics that I kind of love setting yeah. this whole thing up. No, I, I needed Rick Pitino back in the tournament because the takes about Rick Pitino being back in the tournament are going to light every single hotel room in Indiana for this entire NCAA tournament. I, I just need true. all of this them in true. every single way. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I would not really want this region if I was Illinois, but I also think Illinois is going to come out of this region because they're I do just too. really good. <laughs> I do too. Like, I'm, I, know. I am terrified of playing Illinois. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's, a, it's a weird region. Like, you can almost convince me that Syracuse has, like, a chance to get to the Elite Eight. Like, you mentioned that they're not very good, and I agree with you. Like, I don't think they're a very good team but they get san diego state who is a team that outside of jordan shackle really doesn't take like a crazy number of threes so the two three zone can hit them there they have a west virginia team that's probably going to try and just mash them on the boards i would imagine but again not really a great shooting team Houston, you know, how, how are how are you going to say that 
in a, in, a, in a region where you potentially have Syracuse, West Virginia, that Rutgers and Clemson is going to be the, the game that's hard to watch. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that we just don't get West Virginia, Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> like, we at least know that maybe one of those teams could lose, right? Like, San Diego State probably will be favored to beat Syracuse in that game. So there's an under 50% chance that we end up with that. We know we're getting the 44-42 special that's going to be Clemson-Rutgers. Well, this kind of reminds me of... Um, so when, when Texas Tech made their run to the Elite Eight, um, they went through... I'm forgetting all of the teams, but I just remember they went through, I think, Purdue and then Villanova, if I'm remembering right. Or maybe those teams played each other. I just remember they went through Villanova. And this was in Boston. And, you know, we were still, you know, as, as a nation, you know, kind of a little bit unfamiliar with Chris Beard and the style of play. And I just remember the storylines for, for so many of those games in a row was, wow, weird. The other team, like this team, like used to be a, usually is a good shooting team. But, man, it was just like totally off. And it literally took, I think, until they got to the Elite Eight for people to just be like, oh, wow, this is just a great defensive team. And like, this is how they want to win games. And this is how they want the game to look. And it sort of feels like that because I feel like every year and we have that conversation about Syracuse and you hear it from all the coaches, especially the teams that draw Syracuse on the two day turnaround in the tournament. Um, it's, it's exactly that. And, and West Virginia, there's certain programs that just have a specific style of play and they make the game ugly and that's how they're comfortable doing it. But sometimes we forget. No. And uh, I mean, you brought up Texas tech there like that Texas tech, Utah state game, by the way, is another like 55, 52 special. Like, that's going to be a hideous basketball game because both those teams are really good defensively and they're both really good on the interior defensively, particularly. So uh, I'm fascinated by that one as well. But I kind of still think Illinois is going to come out of this region. I think they're just the most talented team, but I I wouldn't want to play Tennessee. I wouldn't want to play Oklahoma State because Tennessee has dudes, Oklahoma State has dudes, and man you don't want to run into too many like legit pro prospects on your way to the final four i feel like that that just makes life miserable yes um but with the way illinois is playing right now i mean i'm with you i i i I mean you know again in this like five minutes fill out a bracket i have them in the title game like yeah that you know i mean i i think they they if they came through the toughest league in the country one, you know, I mean, we, the fans will argue about the regular season title, but they won the Big Ten tournament. Um, I don't know. It just, it just sort of feels like they're going to be fine with the toughest possible path to the Final Four and potential title game as well. I mean, I, I just think they're embracing that. And, you know, Io DeSumo in this mask is kind of like a, you've, you've got a little bit of a superhero feel. And it just it, it feels like things are... I'm not really a team of destiny person, but it certainly feels like things are trending in that direction for them. Are we sure that the NCAA is going to allow him to play in that black mask? Like, I really hope that they we, do. Uh, I don't know, actually. But wouldn't wouldn't you think it would be the same rules as the conference tournament? Conference rules? No, I don't know. The Big Ten's weird. The NCAA is weird. They all these leagues do weird shit compared to the NCAA. Like the NCAA doesn't allow yeah, you to but, have like but, normal okay. cups, how can you t- like down by how, the final. How can four you thing. tell someone that he can't wear a mask during a pandemic? Come on. Well, I think they just say they have to wear. He has to wear a clear one. I know, but I'm saying that's that's your talking point back. You'd be like, come on, come on. I'm in on that. I like that take. Okay, so 
the East region is the Michigan region. So, Nicole, I, I want to hear from you. How how attached are you to Michigan? Like, on what level? Because you went to Michigan. Like, I, I wear the Ohio State stuff not quite on my sleeve anymore, but I particularly really like this, like, Ohio State basketball team in general. The football team, obvious reasons, a little bit tougher to root for for me right now. But... Michigan in general, like, what is your fandom for Michigan? What does it look like now? Um, so I'll start by saying the background here is that I grew up in New Jersey, which is a pro sports area, and I, I did not get into college sports until I was a student at Michigan, and all of the four years I went there, I was working at the student paper. So it, it's not quite the same as if I grew up in the state of Michigan and always had loved Michigan growing up. It's 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 different. Um, but th- that's to say, like, I was there and I covered the worst four-year stretch of Michigan football history. Uh, basketball team was starting to to really emerge in the John Beeline era. I was there when he made the tournament. It was the first time in 11 years for Michigan um, and, and really kind of started to get going. The Final Four and championship game was after I graduated, but I covered that for USA Today and covered their other title game against Villanova. Um, but I would say I definitely have more of an attachment, I think, to the basketball program. I know the Beeline family really well. I've gotten to know them really well. Um, and, and I think that, I don't know, it just, it feels different, um, especially maybe because, you know, people go to Michigan, you know, it's a football school, right? And, and so much is around the football program, but it wasn't the Michigan football program the way that it was supposed to while I was there. And again, I didn't like grow up, you know, watching Michigan football on Saturdays, whereas the basketball edition, like I, I always watch March Madness. I mean, my dad and I saw like the Jameer Nelson team. Like we went and went to, it was in East Rutherford, I think the Sweet 16 that year, or it was the first weekend. But like, you know, we, we would get into that sort of thing. So I, I just think like these basketball programs at schools that you go to or cover, they're just, there's, there's, they're just they're in your face. It's smaller rosters. It's it's you know, especially at a football school, you know, there there's a part of the season that kind of feels like you're in on a secret because other people aren't paying attention yet. Like there's there's certain things about it and then again, like you know, I went to college um, with John Beeline's youngest son, Andy, and like I just I, I know the family. And so it's very easy to get um, you know, just more into or pay more attention to Michigan basketball. And then, you know, this year in particular Football season went was long and crazy and disjointed. And when I was coming out of that, there was so much genuine excitement and joy around the basketball program that it was really fun and exciting to get into. And, you know, I did an alumni event for, for the Michigan alumni group with John Beeline, and we were talking about this year's team, and we were reminiscing on certain things. Like, So it, there's just elements that, um, you know, I definitely feel it a little bit more with the basketball team. It feels easier to get engaged with again i think it's the smaller roster it's the personalities um and then obviously when you bring back a famous alum and there's all sorts of interesting dynamics at play with john howard like i don't know it's just it's it's fun it feels fun it feels cool like so i definitely feel it there's more of an attachment on the basketball side um and again i think that that's kind of probably gotten stronger a little bit as i've moved into covering primarily football it feels a little bit like we're okay um but also just 
like these teams are fun. The players are interesting. Um, you know, they've they've always kind of in those last few years had a mix of even once they started to get guys who would go early to to the draft, which I remember when that was a huge deal. Like, you know, John Bielan hadn't had players that didn't, you know, stay all four years and exhaust their eligibility and graduate. Um, you know, they they've always had like a nice balance of, of those of the pros and the guys that you you know you have for four years and, and, and I think that, that always shows like this year's team you know, the transfers and the way they fit, super likable. Hunter Dickinson, just watching him play, um, you know, in the Big Ten. And, it, like, there's just a lot of things that are likable about the team in particular. So I, I kind of feel like you do, maybe about this particular year, this particular team. Um, there, there's just a lot to like. And so I, I think that I, I'm kind of rambling, obviously, here. But I, I, I would say, like, there, there's some attachment. There's definitely more of a paying attention, right? Like, you're, you're definitely, if you're only going to watch – you know, one game that night, you're watching that one. But also this year in particular, it felt like an easy team to get attached to. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just, you know, cone of truth here, cone of, cone of honesty. Uh, I kind of like this Michigan team. Even as someone who went to Ohio State, I kind of like this Michigan team. Are you allowed to say that even in the cone of honesty? Yeah. So the reason is that I really disliked a lot of the like college basketball media as people know on this podcast i really just fucking hammer college basketball media all the time regularly i hated how they questioned Jawan howard when he was hired Mm -hmm. like Jawan howard if you talk to anyone in the nba is like yeah he's a fucking incredible defensive coach he really really connects with the guys on his team at a high level he's been in miami for years upon years like this guy is going to be a great head coach and then you look at like college basketball media and they're like oh my god but how is he going to recruit and it's like it's he might struggle at first but as long as he gets good assistance i'm sure he'll figure it out right he's Jawan howard and again most people who are around him like him so i think that i've just kind of grown attached to the idea of Jawan Howard succeeding. I, I really want Jawan Howard to find success. And you're right. Like this Michigan team has been super likable. I will say one thing. I'm pretty worried about them entering the NCAA tournament because without Isaiah livers, they run a lot of action to post up Hunter Dickinson where they'll have Isaiah livers on the same side of the action so that, the opposing team really is going to have trouble doubling. Like if you double off of Dickinson, Dickinson has an easy same side kick out to Isaiah livers. And that's just going to go poorly for the opposing team because Isaiah livers is going to make like 60% of his open shots. So like, I'm a little bit worried about what they do. They probably run like Franz Wagner, same side, and then maybe toss like Eli Brooks or Chandy Brown on the other side. But like, I just don't think that those guys have the same, like, I don't think teams are as worried about doubling off of those guys, even though they can make shots, as they are Isaiah Livers, because Livers is just like a ridiculous shooter. And I worry about what that's going to do to their offense as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm absolutely worried. Every Michigan alum and fan, I know, is extremely worried about this as well. Um, but it did feel like this was a team where different players could win different games. Um, And and I think that that's kind of what you have to rely on. But I will say the region itself sets up in an interesting way for a team where you are kind of unsure if they're cheating or not by by not having Isaiah Livers. Because LSU is 
an eight seed. Um, you know, I do think there's a little bit of a trend about some of the teams that were either left out or, you know, maybe lower in the seed lines than you think. Hmm, they seem to have NCAA issues. Um, but LSU is an eight. St. Bonaventure is a nine. You mentioned that's a really interesting eight, nine game. That's not the easiest opponent to yep. play as your second game. Um, you know, I, I think Alabama is a team that is Final Four good and I think is going to be the team that most people probably pick to come out of this region if they're concerned about Isaiah Livers. And I think that that's fair because they're playing great. Like, Nate Oates really has that thing going and and fully turned around, and they're hot. I mean, I, I think, you know, you're trying to figure out teams that are consistent enough that you can trust them to, you know, win four or five games in a row here, but also are playing their best basketball, and Alabama's doing that. So... The rest of this region is interesting because I think that they did kind of load up with a lot of teams that I really, really like and thought had Final Four potential coming into the tournament. Uh, Texas obviously just won the Big 12 tournament. They are really, really good. They're really talented. They're really athletic. They're great defensively, and they have a great senior guard in Matt Coleman. Florida State is a really tough matchup for just about anyone because they are athletic, switchable, big, long. They have skill. LSU, similar, athletic, switchable, big, long, skilled basketball team that can shoot this year as well. Like, I think that LSU is better than BYU. I think that they're better than Colorado. Like, uh, I would not want to play LSU. I would not want to play Bonaventure. I think Bonaventure is really good. Uh, Mark Schmidt is like the absolute like coaching mismatch. If you give him five days to set up for a tournament game, um, Connecticut is terrifying too. Connecticut has a potential top twenty pick in James Booknight. I wouldn't want to play them. Alabama's ridiculous. Uh, as someone with a sixty-seven to one NCAA title bet on Alabama, I love this region for Alabama. So. Uh, well, just, well, first of all, as, as you go through this, I mean, this is the, the number four yeah. overall team. Like, they are not supposed to have the easiest path. Um, and so I think all of that is is fair and fine. But I do think, like, I, I, it's just, it's such a shame that the livers thing happened. Because, like, I would love to see a full-strength Michigan yeah. in this region. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I would, be, even with livers, like, I'd be worried about them against LSU. I'd yeah, be worried about same. them against Florida but, State. But without him, like I feel like, I feel like, like we're almost—I know—and you're, and you're almost like you're, you're tempted to write them off, even though we don't know yet. You know, like you don't know exactly how they're going to do things. Um, I don't know. This is tough. So, I think that I'm going to be a little bit contrarian in this region. Who do you have coming out of this region? In my five minutes, so Michigan fans don't get mad at me. I always, they always get mad at me if I pick them to lose too early or if I have them going too far. So it's really hard. I, I have Alabama beating Michigan in the elite okay. in my immediate bracket. So I have Florida State I've, right now. Okay, so let's let's talk about Florida State. So so first of all, did you have Georgetown over Colorado? I did, but I don't think Colorado I do too. Yeah. Is very but, good. Yeah, that that's why I picked it as well. Georgetown's the you know the kind of the darling, the team we didn't expect to be here. Blah blah blah, pretty hot. Um, but I love Florida State in the tournament so much. I've, I've the way that they have fallen in recent years. Like in most of the places I've worked, they just assign people sites, right. and then you just see who's going to be playing there. Like it's not trying to follow a team if you're not a beat writer. 
I've had Florida State so many times in the tournament, and I love watching them play because of their length. And they're basically, their identity of their team is just the same every single year. And every single time we're like, man, we don't think about Florida State. We don't talk about Leonard Hamilton enough every single time. And I felt like we did that all regular season because the ACC was more mediocre than we're used to seeing them. But I don't know about this Florida State team. There have been a couple times where I'm like, all right, like, they win this game. You know, like, I really trust them. I think I'm going to be wrong if I pick them to lose early. So I know why you're why you're riding with them. But I don't know. It's so hard to tell, especially because, like, I just don't know what the ACC season taught us. Like, the teams were just not – like, this is – Florida State is the highest-seeded ACC team. They're, they're above Virginia. So I, I, don't, I don't know what that says about Florida State. <sighs> It's a really good point. It's a really, really good point. So I think that part of this is, for me, I feel bad about the way that Florida State ended last season. This was Last season was their best team in school history. They had two lottery picks in Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell. They had Trent Forrest as like a senior guard. They had a ton of depth. They had a ton of length again. Like It, it was just a ridiculously good team. And that kind of got like ripped away from them a little bit. This year... They have another lottery pick in Scotty Barnes. They have a really good senior in MJ Walker. They have another potential draft pick in Raekwon Gray that I don't think anyone's talking about, really. So this team is long. They're athletic. They're super switchable. They're actually way better this year on offense than they are on defense. This is not really the typical like Florida State, oh, we're going to like just dominate teams on defense. Having said that, I think that they are really tough to match up against in like a short schedule, like short prep time window, because it's just really hard to deal with that athleticism and length. Like Colorado, if they end up beating Georgetown, has not played against anyone this long and athletic. The Big East does not have anyone this long and athletic. Uh, the Big Ten, if it's Michigan it, that comes through, does not have anyone this long and this athletic. Now, like, Texas, Alabama, these two teams on the bottom half of their region, totally. Like, those teams have faced uh, real difficult teams that can score and also defend. Like, I think Florida State probably will in this tournament. I think this region's like a total toss-up. You could convince me of any of Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Florida State coming out of it. You might even be able to sell me on LSU making a deep run uh, mm. in this region because I think they're really good. They have a top four of Javante Smart, Trendon Watford, Cam Thomas, Darius Days that matches up as well as just about any top four for an eight seed that I can remember in recent history. But man, I- I'm just going to roll with Florida State, I guess. Like that's going to be my upset pick. Like I- well, wait- I- I'm good with it. We haven't even talked about the fact that Michigan State UCLA is a first four game in this right. Like right. wild, wild. And BYU has Matt Harms, by the way. I did I, for some reason that totally had left my brain and I had yeah. forgotten about that. Um, but like that they're really interesting. I mean, I you know, Mark Few was on one of the shows after the the bracket was announced and he was basically talking up BYU as like a threat in the tournament. And that's possible too. Like I, I don't know. I mean, that is like low key BYU and the winner of Michigan State UCLA might be a really good game. It'll be a fun game, I think for sure, especially if it's Michigan State, because Michigan State uh against BYU is just kind of like 
two just very different matchups because like it'll just be Aaron Henry like driving into the rim against Matt Harms constantly and consistently every single time and, and trying to score on that seven foot three. Where, where is he from? Is he from the Netherlands? Denmark? I can't remember which one he's from. He's from one of those uh, region, one of those countries in that region up there. Um, the, the problem is if you haven't seen Matt Harms yet this year, Nicole, I know he's I already cut know. his cut his hair a little bit. Like it's honestly, he still no, does the hair flip, but no, it's, it's, it's not it's, as good. It's, it's noticeably different. You know, it's it's not the same. Honestly, devastated about this. But no, I'm with you. I mean, I think a, a lot of people, I think, thought and and honestly, a lot of bracketologists seem to think that Michigan State was like pretty comfortably in and not in first four range um, because. But but like I'm okay with it because they're so weird. They have three wins over teams in the top eight, but they've also get blown out when they lose. They they lose badly. So you really just don't know what's going to happen when they play, which I kind of love for a first four game. Yeah, and you mentioned UCLA. UCLA is interesting just because I feel like. Mick Cronin is kind of a tough team to prep for. Uh, those teams are tough to prep for because their defense is just so strange. Like I've talked to like coaches back when he was in at Cincinnati, they'd be like, yeah, we hated prepping for this because their defense acts kind of unlike any defense that you typically play against. Um, I, I just don't know that this team is all that good. Like, like I said earlier, they've really only beaten Colorado uh, among good teams. Like I don't think this Arizona state team was any good period this year so shouldn't shouldn't they be a little further along under cronin by now uh, that's a good question like like they, they didn't have like a crazy amount left over when right. alford left because all of chris wilkes jalen hands moses brown left you have to remember with ucla this year too chris smith uh tears his acl in i want to say early january and chris smith would have been their best player this year this would be a top 25 team or so if chris smith was there i think he probably would have been in the running like for the third best player in the pac-12 behind evan mobley and chris duarte so without chris smith i think this is a tough sell for ucla like i i really do um but i i understand too that like for for cronin like look they probably make the ncaa tournament last year like it would have been tight and then this year they make it despite their best player getting hurt i I think that next year is the year where we really find out what's going on at ucla Mm. yeah it's just also i mean and again you know with the way that the steve alford era was critiqued and, and talked about you know, it's it's sort of what do you expect if you're UCLA? You know, you're talking about Final Fours, right? Like, you're, right. it's like, well, well, you know, they made the tournament. It's it's really not, you know, the first four thing is is not what anyone wants. And like, I get it, I get it. This is your Kentucky's not going to be in the NCAA tournament. Duke's not in the tournament. Like, you know, you, you can't even take that for granted. But I, I'm with you that I think you know it's leaving something to be desired, and there's going to be some pressure on next year. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you. I think there's definitely pressure next year. I mean, Steve Alford made three Sweet Sixteens in his first four mm-hmm. years, and, and people weren't happy with it. Yeah, so and like Steve didn't do himself any favors. Like, let's be honest about that too. Like, you know, the, the whole the whole Zach Levine coming off the bench uh, next to his son Bryce, like that. <laughs> The optics of that did not do him any favors, I think, we'll say. And look, like I think that uh, Bryce was good, and Bryce proved himself to be like a very good 
Pac-12 player, but uh, unfortunately, it just didn't. The, the optics of it were tough for UCLA fans to swallow. I think it is, and that that kind of set a bad taste in their mouth. And like, frankly, they weren't excited about the hire to begin with. I, right. I don't know. Like, I don't think that they weren't. I think they were more enthused by the Mick Cronin hire, but like not by much. So I think next year is the big year for Cronin for sure. He needs he needs to have like a big hey, let's win twenty five games, let's make a Sweet Sixteen run season. Otherwise, I think that that could get a little bit tough for him. I agree. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask you three questions to finish here. The first question I have for you, well, it, let's make it four. What is your favorite? first round upset pick okay favorite is probably i know we touched on this a little bit um georgetown over colorado i think that i I don't know if you notice this but if you look on the seed list line like colorado is right ahead of usc which doesn't make a ton of sense considering how those games went against those two teams. But also, I just love Georgetown. I think I think it's an incredible story to do this for you know Patrick Ewing's first time taking Georgetown to the tournament as the coach. They were a bid thief. The only thing better about that could have possibly happened would have been if they took Syracuse's spot um, off the bubble and, and out of the bracket. But I don't know. I just I, I like this team. I think they're tough. I think they play you know good defense. Um, I, I think that's. You know, I think a lot of people are going to talk about the the, the Villanova Winthrop five twelve game, um, but I think this is the one that might be more likely to happen. So, I've seen the early betting lines, and Ohio is a plus is plus ten and a half against a Virginia team that mm. is not going to get to practice until Thursday because mm. they need to actually like be quarantined in a hotel to see if they can even play this game. I, I think I'm going to take Ohio. Ohio's potential NBA draft pick and Jason Preston. They really stretch the floor well around him. Uh, they have a guy named Vanderplas as well, who is very good, like a big, tall, white dude who can shoot. Um, I think that would probably be my favorite right now. I will also probably take Syracuse over San Diego State. I, I really love Brian Dutcher. I think he's, if Minnesota decides to go that way, he's been certainly rumored for that job uh, quite a bit because there's a clause in his contract that says his buyout everywhere is $6.8 million except at Minnesota where it's $1 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'd be a tremendous hire for Minnesota. I think he's an unbelievable coach and if one coach is really going to like be able to figure out that Syracuse 2-3 zone, it probably would be him. I just think Syracuse is a really tough matchup. I think they're a little bit more talented than San Diego State to be honest. So I'm going to go with those two. Uh, My second question for you, Nicole, is going to be, who is the five seed or lower that you think can make an Elite Eight run? Okay, so in our conversations, a couple of things have swayed me a couple of times, but I'm going to stick with the one that I thought right out of the gate. It's a flawed team, but one of the best players in the country, and that's USC. We were talking about how Gonzaga's region is a little strange. It is a lot of teams that the Zags have already beaten. It is a lot of teams where we're not certain. And, you know, there's there's kind of a bunch of teams who could come out to meet Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. That wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I really do hope we get to see USC-Iowa as a matchup. Um, but Evan Mobley's great. And, and I think that, you know, obviously a lot of these teams have a lot of future pros. A lot of these teams have a lot of, you know, kind of, 
superstar type players. But one guy like that can really make a difference and can string together a couple of wins for you. So, yes, they have flaws. Yes, they have parts of their team that I don't trust and don't feel thrilled about. But you made me pick a team that was a five-seater <laughs> lower to make the Elite Eight. So they are the one. USC would be a great one because that could involve us getting Evan Mobley against the National Player of the Year in Luca Garza. And it could involve us getting Evan Mobley and Jalen Suggs, which would be unbelievable Mm. for NBA scouts to be able to go see that game, see how those two perform against one another. My pick there, I've kind of mentioned it. I think it is Oregon. They have a lot of great experience. Dane Altman is a flat-out genius. This team has won 11 of 13 down the stretch. I think that that's a really tough matchup for a lot of different teams. I I hate that I'm doing this, but like for some reason I can't quit this Tennessee team this year. Like I know that they're not good. It's one of those things where I know they're terrible and I still just can't. The the amount of love that you or trust and love that you have in Tennessee and Syracuse is exactly opposite mind. So this is very interesting. One of us is going to be right about how these things shake out. Oh, no. Like, I I feel horrible about having faith in Tennessee. Like, I I think that they're not very good. But it's it's hard for me to get past talent a lot of the time, even though I think that talent has been, like, really misused this year. Like, I think Rick Barnes has tried to, like, fit square pegs into round holes the whole year uh, with a lot of these, like, very athletic guards like Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. But... Like they they have a big in John Fulkerson. They can play small with Eve Pons. They can play like semi bigger with um, Anasiki if he's healthy. Like I, I don't know. I, I it, it's a it's a personal flaw of mine. I feel like that's where we're at. Like I, I can't quit this Tennessee team as much as I want to. Uh, who is your final four? Will be the third question. Okay, so. Um it, 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 this always happens where I get either drawn into certain early season or early round upsets or, you know, like th- th- this past week of championship week was awesome, really fun, very chaotic at times. It reminds you that things are not going to go as chalky as you think, yet I always kind of come back to this sometimes at the final four picks. By that point in my bracket, I feel like order kind of gets restored and it's really hard for me not to pick one and two seeds. And especially this year, I mean, like obviously I've got Gonzaga, I've got Gonzaga all the way to the championship game. Baylor, you know, things were a little bit dicey coming out of the COVID pause. I was talking to Scott Drew about it. And like when your team actually has COVID cases, yeah, you have to deal with like, you know, this is a disease, a virus that, you know, affects lungs. It, it affects, you know, conditioning. Like you, you really have to get your sea legs back. So we saw them, kind of bumble through that phase i think that they're 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 pretty good again i, I mean i feel like they're you know they're they're gonna be themselves we didn't see we saw them get knocked out of the big 12 tournament obviously like this was a team that was undefeated into february but i still trust them and i still think that they're a really good team as you mentioned earlier north carolina wisconsin winner might be their most challenging matchup depending on how things go in their region so i've got gonzaga and baylor Um, And then it's, again, like, Illinois is playing so well right now. They're so hot, so talented. I love to watch this team. They've got an impossibly tough region, but I still have them coming through it, even if if I have them go through Loyola, even if I have them go through Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State, even if I have them go through Houston. I still have them coming out of it. And then, you know, the the homer pick versus the... 
think <laughs> Alabama, you know, might be playing better. They didn't just lose one of their starters. So I've got Alabama coming out of there. So I know this isn't that exciting. It's three number one seeds and a two. But I don't know. I always get kind of chalky with the final four. And then I'm usually wrong. But, like, I, I just, you know, by the time I process that part of the bracket, it always seems to happen. Yeah, no, I have three number one seeds and a four seed. Uh, I have Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Florida State. I really did not want to pick Baylor. I don't think that they've been right since the COVID restart. Like, I, I think that Scott Drew that, that I've been tempted that. by yeah. them. Yeah, and I've been tempted not to pick them. But it, it's hard because in that region, then... Do you take your Buckeyes? Do you trust them enough? No. <laughs> like, no. Do, do I trust Arkansas? Uh, maybe. Enough. Like, like a, maybe. a little bit. I know. But... I, I, so then I ultimately keep going back to Baylor. Where it's like, okay, these are, you know, they brought so many guys back from last year's team, which was a great team, which was, you know, a number one seed. Like, all these things. They came back to do this because they knew they were a title contender last year. Like, I just keep coming back to that type of thing. I don't know. So I, I talk myself into Baylor. It might change by Friday. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest. I love this Purdue team. I just think they're a year away. Like, I think Purdue is awesome. And they've been great to close the year. They've been so good. I think they're probably overseeded by a line. But, like, I think they're really, really, really good. I don't think I can pick them against Baylor because the whole thing is just experienced guards. Now, like... If it's if North Carolina would get through Baylor, I, I think that this region is like the most wide open thing that I can remember. But oh man, I like and here's the thing: if you go Arkansas too, like I think Colgate is really good. Like that game in the first round is going to be like ninety five to ninety. It's going to be insane how many points are scored in that game, and it's just going to be a track meet. And I, I don't know that I feel incredible like i'll pick arkansas to come out but like that that's a that's like a 75 25 game for arkansas and that 25 percent is probably probably higher than they would have liked like they would have rather had eastern washington or moorhead state uh abilene christian's interesting because they play like a super pressury brand of basketball and if you watch the arkansas lsu game arkansas did not do well against full court pressure but man i don't know this is a I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Gonzaga. I'm gonna go Baylor. I'm gonna go Illinois, and I'm gonna my my pseudo upset is gonna be Florida State. Nicole, who is your national champion pick? I've got the undefeated, perfect season for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I, I think this is a year. So I mean, you know, I'm, I'm every year we have these conversations. Is this Mark Few's best team? Um, is this the team? You know, I mean, think about like all those great teams we talked about. Is he finally going to get to a final four, get finally get to a title game? Like this team is phenomenal. They are more efficient than other teams. They have stars, they have pros, they have a coach who, you know, is so experienced. And this was a year where the way that their schedule shakes out and the way that they finish with the conference tournament earlier than everyone else, all of those things were benefits. They were all pluses in a COVID year. So I see everything aligning. I see a perfect season. I agree with you. Uh, I've been saying the entire year, I've been saying since the offseason, when Philip Petrushev, who was a second-team All-American, third-team All-American pick last year, had to leave because he got beaten out by drew timmy uh on this roster that 
this was Mark Few's best team. Like he literally had an All American get beaten out for his spot yeah. on mm-hmm. this roster, which is insane. And, um, and Timmy's great, right? Like I mean, it's yeah. like you see why. No, it was it was the right call. Like and Petrushev's doing great over in Serbia. Timmy's doing great at Gonzaga. Like it's a it, it's a perfect kind of deal. Um, yeah, like. I said back in August that I loved Gonzaga at nine to one. I said uh, in the off season that I love Gonzaga. I'm just going to ride it. Um, you know, obviously uh, I did bet on Gonzaga at nine to one a way long time ago, and I would be uh, very happy if they won. But I also just think this is by far the best team. They have lottery picks. They have uh, a real inside presence. They have older guards in Joel Ayayi and Andrew Nemhard. The only thing that I think could really cause them a lot of issues is Drew Timmy getting into foul trouble in a tough game. Uh, they would then probably have to go to one of like Anton Watson or Umar Balo. I-, I would bet you that that's what teams try to exploit. They probably try to get Drew Timmy into foul trouble uh, in order to get those other guys on the court. If that happens, I think that all bets are off. And I think Gonzaga is a little bit more mortal than what we've seen this year. But I mean, th- this offense is a buzzsaw. This defense is really underrated. Uh, they're really tough on the ball. I'm going to go with Gonzaga and just uh, I, honestly, like I hope Mark Few wins a title. That, that's another yeah, part of it. Like I really, I think that's part of it too. There's a sentimental part of that. Yeah, like I, I think Few is a great coach, and I think he's deserving of a title at this point. So, um, okay, Nicole, do we have anything else we want to run through before we get out of here? I think that's it. I think that's everything for the the immediate reactions. I reserve the right to change any of these picks by the time the games get played. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That that is that that goes without saying here, Nicole. Uh, I ask almost everyone who comes on the show, "Have you watched any good movies recently, Nicole?" So please, uh, mm. this is your time. Um, I have been watching um, a lot of documentaries and TV shows on Netflix lately. Um, so I'm trying to think movies, movies, movies. Um, oh, you know what I'm doing? And it's, it's not going to be like, you know, some artsy pick or, you know, some Oscar winners, but I've been watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe from start to yeah. finish in timeline order. So, cause I haven't seen, I had only seen probably less than half of them when WandaVision came out and I wanted to watch that and get into it. Yep. So I'm doing a Marvel watch and it is lovely it is enjoyable and it is um complimenting the basketball quite well right now (laughs) my wife laura and i have been doing that as well over the course of the last like month and a half or so um it's just great we're finally up to end game it's a it's such a fantastic series we loved wandavision um loved wandavision phenomenal unbelievable uh i just watched news of the world with tom hanks if you want to at some point just have tom hanks with his like full in full-on dad mode be able to sit back and relax i would i would suggest full-on dad mode tom hanks and news of the world i don't understand why it would get any best picture buzz because it's just tom hanks and dad mode uh and there's not much else exciting about it but if you want to be able to sit back for two hours that's my recommendation to folks news of the world very simple watch uh nicole tell the people you've got coming up tell the people where they can find you and your work 
Um, well, you can find me at The Athletic, um, as always, for the written work. And then I've been hosting a lot on SiriusXM, ESPNU Radio. Um, we'll be doing a ton of that during the tournament if you want to stay up late after the games. So be sure to check out there um, on SiriusXM as well. That's Channel 84. And then, again, written work at The Athletic. Um, and I'll be tweeting and hopefully, you know, maybe some occasional jokes um, at Nicole Auerbach on Twitter. Go to The Athletic. Keep us employed over there. I'll have a bunch of random shit coming out. I think I'm going to do some betting picks uh, over at The Athletic for the NCAA tournament. I have a mock draft coming this week at some point. I have a couple other random little NBA things coming. So keep it locked over there. Until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.